thank you for allowing me a couple weeks vacation, a couple Sundays vacation over the last two Sundays. And I told you what I was going to work on. I was going to work on finishing up the notes for the book of Ecclesiastes. I preached 35 sermons in 2008, 10 years ago, never published the outline because it wasn't good enough to publish. And knowing that it was going to be a major investment, I rank all my projects by what it is going to take to finish them. And so one that's going to take 90 hours, which is what I gave it the past two weeks, is going to get pushed down the list every time. And so I respond to the shorter ones. Instead of taking a half an hour a day, that is not Jonathan Crosby taking a half an hour a day to work on Ecclesiastes over 180 days. No, that doesn't work. I still remember, and I thank this church profusely, and you may not appreciate it, but when you gave me a couple Sundays, a couple weeks off, 10 years ago, when we had a family leave our church because of preterism, I went home and gave 100 hours each of those weeks, and our document against preterism on the, on the internet, it's by the grace of God, and that's all I'm talking about. There's nothing like it. It takes apart partial preterists. It's very complete. Be, did everybody get an index of the lessons in the book of Ecclesiastes? Okay. So I thank you for that. I thank you for the past two weeks. Uh, I, I did get 90 hours into it. They're the best hours of my life. It's what I'm the best at. It's what I enjoy doing the most. And I thank you for that. And I was glad to finish it. It's not perfect, but it's done. Amen. And as I wrote you, it's done in quotation marks, because just let me get home today. And we'll make it a little bit better before tonight, by the grace of God. Uh, I, there's 222 verses. That's a quarter of the book of Proverbs. It really adds up. You think of Ecclesiastes as a pretty small little book, but there's 222 verses there. And the sermons are from 2008. You can go back and listen to them, but now you have an outline to follow along, and it's even fuller than when those sermons were preached. I, the, the project was a little more than I had bargained for because I told you some other things I wanted to do as well. Now, that's two problems. The, problem, the, the project was larger and the one working on the project, always can make it expand. <laughs> and and I, you all know that, don't you? Yes. About yourselves. Yeah. Don't blame me. <laughs> I'm not the only one that once you get into something, you want to do it well, and once you see what it could look like, you want to make it better. Yeah. And so it, it, it's a never-ending project almost. Lord, thank you for the Bible. Amen. The divine library that we have in the Bible, 66 books, we get to go in there as the children of God he invites us in as his children to go into this paneled, beautiful library with a fire in the fireplace and this overstuffed leather chair next to it, and there's 66 volumes on the shelves. And you just go down them and you look. Do you know what he's given us? We've got the history of the creation of the world. Right. What other book tells you the history in detail with names, with places, with rivers about creation? Our Bible. Lord, we love your word. Quicken us according to your word, and we'll go in the way of your precepts. It's a fantastic book. We've got prophetic literature. We've got didactic instruction like the book of Hebrews. We've got logical, rhetorical defenses of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've got a philosophy book. We've got passion in the Song of Solomon. We've got praise in the book of Psalms, but we've got philosophy in the book of Ecclesiastes. Right. And what is philosophy? What am I alive for? What am I supposed to do with my life? What is the best way to live? 
What is the profit of life? Are we just going to die? They're good questions. Men have tried to answer them. And men can't answer them like the Bible has answered them. Confucius say. You mean confusion say? Anything Confucius said that was right, he got from Solomon because Confucius wrote 400 years after Solomon. Socrates, Plato were 500 years after Solomon. Don't you humble yourself to those men. Anything they got that was right, guess who they got it from? Solomon. Does the Bible tell us that all kings of the earth came to listen to Solomon, even talk about trees? What do you think about philosophy? They got it from Solomon. He's your personal instructor. You get to wander into the library because the Lord sends you a text and says, come to my library. You wander in there, you sit down beside the fireplace, you pull off the book of Ecclesiastes. So open your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes and tell me, even in our King James Bible, what its title is. Other than Ecclesiastes. What does Ecclesiastes mean by looking at the title page of the book of Ecclesiastes in your Bible? The preacher. And if you read the book, he says, I'm the preacher. I was the preacher. Ecclesia. Ecclesiology is study the church. Ecclesiastes is a preacher in a church. I was the preacher in Jerusalem. God gave me the sermon, and I wrote it down for you. He starts the book calling himself a preacher, and he ends the book calling himself a preacher, and he loves the words of God, and he wants you to know they're all inspired. He said, the master of assemblies. Who was the master of assemblies? Solomon was. He was the preacher. The master of assemblies is driving nails given to him from one shepherd. Oh, yes. The inspired words of God that 40 different writers gave us in the Bible. And so we have the book of Ecclesiastes. Oh, Lord, thank you for this book. We have no use for the apocryphal book called Ecclesiasticus or Serac of the Catholics. They have a book that they cause that they call Ecclesiasticus, and if you ever see it, ignore it because it's not Ecclesiastes. We thank God for his poetic books. The book of Job teaches us patience, psalms, praise, proverbs, prudence, Ecclesiastes, philosophy, and the Song of Solomon, passion. And thank you, Lord. Why do I exist? What's the purpose of my life? What's the profit of my life? What about evil in the world? What about death? How can I please God? How should I balance all these things together? all answered in 12 chapters, 222 verses, 60 lessons. Amen. God in his mercy to us 10 years ago took the book of Ecclesiastes, got rid of the chapter distinctions, although they're in the table of contents of your Bible and of my outline, but he gave us 60 lessons because Solomon bounces from lesson to lesson. Now in the book of Proverbs, you know he does that about 500 times, right? Because each verse is almost a standalone lesson itself. But in Ecclesiastes, it's usually about three or four are a different lesson, and then it totally changes to something else. And the Lord helped us identify those. So we have an introduction, a conclusion. It's very obvious. He introduces it in three verses, and he closes it out in about six or seven verses. He's got an introduction, a conclusion. He's got 60 lessons in between. And they're pretty easy to identify. Well, the Bible says it is all plain to him that understandeth. And by the grace of God, we understand the book now. Men are afraid of this book. Men are afraid of this book because Solomon sounds like an Epicurean. Mm -hmm. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Sounds like a pagan. You ought to read the commentaries. 
for this section of this chapter, he wrote as a pagan. No, because throughout, he's writing about the fear of the Lord. And he concludes with the fear of the Lord. And he was the preacher and he was teaching wisdom to Israel. The author. When we think about the author of this book, Solomon was the son of David and king in his Jerusalem. Look at that first verse. The words of the preacher. Forget me. Look at who you've got. You've got the richest, wisest king in the history of the world. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. He was a king. David was his dad. Did David like Solomon? Did David teach Solomon anything? Proverbs chapter 4 tells us that he did. If simple inspiration doesn't get your attention, when I say this is the inspired word of God, that should get your attention, and I shouldn't need to say anything else. However, God sometimes gives us Bible writers that have some qualifications of their own. And in the case of Solomon, who wrote three books out of the Bible, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon, we have a great man, specially prepared for this job. God loved Solomon and gave him a great father. Remember, God gave Solomon the name Jedidiah, which means he was loved of God. He was king of all of David's sons. He was the preferred son over all the rest of David's family. God gave Solomon wisdom more than any man. He gave him riches and honor to do anything he chose. He gave him total peace so that he could dedicate himself to the pursuit of wisdom. What if he'd have been like David and had to go fight Philistines all the time or go fight Ammonites? Solomon didn't have to do that. He was a man of peace. There was nothing bothering him, and he just had the cash rolling in. The tributes all the way from the Euphrates River to the Nile River. Go look at that piece of territory. I mean, it just dwarfs what Joshua had. There's tribute rolling in all the time. The peculiar treasure of kings and provinces just rolling in. Peculiar treasures mean every king, every province wanted to give Solomon something that he didn't have. Are you familiar with that little phrase in there? And you wonder, I wonder what that means. Every king, every province wanted to give Solomon something that he didn't have from anybody else. So he had the peculiar treasure of kings and provinces just rolling in. He's just got guys keeping track of all the cash. And he doesn't have to go fight wars. He's brilliant. He's the best-looking man on earth. He can go to town. He can get himself a thousand concubines and wives to find out about women. He can build himself buildings. He can plant vineyards. He can do it all because he's got the means. He's got the authority. He's got the cash. He's got the time. And he's got the purpose. He is a motivated man on your behalf to find out what makes a man happy. Okay. And it's not a thousand wives. Right. You know, men that fantasize about polygamy are retarded. (laughs) If they ever loved the one they had, it would be enough and more than enough. But a thousand, he'll get to that. You know what he's going to say when he gets to the end of that experiment? I find more bitter than death the woman. He said, this is what I found. Counting through a thousand men, I can find a good one. But counting through a thousand women, not even one. And that's no reflection on you ladies. You ladies aren't anything like the ladies he married. He only married women that were exotic, outlandish is the Bible word for it. Exotic women of other nations that dressed differently, wore different makeup, used their hair differently, and had other techniques. But none of, none of that's important. He concluded that whole section by saying, this is what I have found. Man, God made man upright, but he has sought out many inventions. And polygamy is an invention. What, how far do we have to read in the Bible to run into polygamy? Anybody? Chapter 4. Who? Lamech, chapter 4, God made Eve for Adam. 
He didn't make any other women. He didn't make two. He didn't make three. And he had the residue of the spirit. You know, when we read the whole Bible, we know that God had some leftover spirit. Because it says so in Malachi chapter 2 and verse 15 that he had some leftover spirit and he could have popped out a couple other women for Adam so that Adam could have had three wives or four like the Muslims. But he only made one because it's, it's one, marriage to one woman that works. And anything else is an invention. And it's invention of a depraved mind. And so one of the rules of Proverbs is get back to what God created. This is what I found. God made man upright but he has sought out many inventions, and Solomon was the worst one in the women, woman category than anybody. So, think about this man. If a fool speaks about wisdom, we rightly laugh. If a poor man speaks about riches, we justly laugh. If a slave speaks about authority, we laugh. If a man with one wife tries to tell us about women, we laugh. If a loser speaks of providence, we laugh because he's using it as an excuse. When Solomon speaks, we listen. We listen when Solomon speaks because he was all the things that were not. He was a rich man. So when he talks about riches, if they don't satisfy, trust him. He couldn't count it every day how much he had. Okay, I told you how long he came. Solomon was about 900 B.C., uh, Confucius was 500 B.C., Socrates was about 400 B.C. Solomon came first. Anything they had, they picked up from him. All the kings of the earth came to him. Don't you think that his knowledge wasn't known in the earth because it was, and the Bible tells us that, over in the book of First Kings, the first 10 chapters, tells us that. The purpose of Ecclesiastes is probably stated more clearly than any other book of the Bible. Look at the first three verses. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Oh, vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. This is the sermon title, Vanity of Vanities. All is vanity. What profit hath a man of all his labor which he taketh under the sun? Question mark. So that question is going to be answered. What profit can we find for our lives under the sun? And the expression, the phrase under the sun is going to be used over and over, and it means earthly life. It's all it means, natural life. So we're dealing with what's under the sun. Where is heaven? Is it under the sun or above the sun? It's above the sun. There's nothing about heaven in the book of Ecclesiastes. There's nothing about a redeemer. There's nothing about a Messiah. There's nothing about a Christ. There's nothing about salvation in the book of Ecclesiastes. There's the fear of the Lord, which was the emphasis of the Old Testament. And we don't understand this book out of its context of the whole Bible. But there's nothing about those things in the book of Ecclesiastes because he's dealing with what is the prophet that we have under the sun, not above the sun. Okay? That's, that's important. And that right there tells us, okay, so we have a perspective on how Solomon is writing this book. Oh, Philosophy. What does the word mean? Do not be confused by that word. It is not in the Bible. It's what I've said Ecclesiastes is about because it is about philosophy. For those of you that have been to college, you probably had to take a course of some sort that included a great deal of philosophy. What is it? The questions of life. The questions of life, how do I live in the way of morality and how do I live in the way of profit, purpose, and events that happen to me? That's what philosophy is. What is my systematic approach to life that will best bear up and handle all of the contingencies of life and the, mor the, the moral decisions that need to be made? And it's in the book of Ecclesiastes. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. And these are probably the only two verses you know by heart. 
But I hope some children are going to put you to shame here in a few minutes. I've got some goodies, and they don't rot your teeth this time. Um, for those children that are going to come and tell me a verse from the book of Ecclesiastes. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. But then there's one verse, and he closes with this verse. And he hasn't said anything else about it till right here. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Wow. Don't let your children memorize Ecclesiastes 12, 13 without verse 14, because verse 14 tells them why verse 13 is important, other than the first 11 and a half chapters of Ecclesiastes. That's that's his great conclusion. So his introduction, his conclusion, tell us where he's been. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. This is the whole duty of man. What is my duty in life? What am I supposed to do? This existence that I have. Does existentialism mean, this is a different school of philosophy, because I exist, therefore my thoughts are independently right and virtuous because of the power of my existence. You know, once we dip inside ourselves, what do we find? The worst stuff known to man. Right about philosophy. We want an external source telling us who exists independently and didn't come into existence like us. He is I am that I am. And he says, live this way. And so that's why we follow him in his book of philosophy. And so we're in the divine library. We've got this wonderful book in front of us. Philosophy is the love, study, or pursuit of wisdom or of knowledge of things and their causes, theoretical or practical. That department of knowledge or study which deals with ultimate reality or with the general causes and principles of things. The system which a person forms for the conduct of life. Oh, sweet. The system that a person forms for the conduct of life. That's what Ecclesiastes is for. What is the system by which we live our lives? Well, we know what it concludes with. Fear God and keep his commandments. But it's not only there. It is interspersed throughout the book for you to know that he he is not drunk, he's not an Epicurean, and he's not quoting Confucius. He is giving you God's word, and so he intersperses these little statements. Look at chapter 5 and verse 7. 5, 7. In the multitude of dreams and many words, there are also divers vanities, but fear thou God. I want you to know that the fear of God is not just in the last two verses. It's right there. Chapter 5, verse 7. I'm just hitting a couple. Chapter 7, verse 18. Oh, I've got to get this verse. That time's racing on me, but this is a wonderful verse. Listen to these words. 7, 18. It is good that thou shouldest take hold of this. Get a hold of this, my church. Yea, also from this withdraw not thine hand. Once you get it in your grip, don't let go of it. For he that feareth God shall come forth of them all. Isn't that a wonderful statement? Get a hold of the fact that those that fear God are going to come forth. Do you want to win the race of life? Get a hold of this and don't let go of it. Those that fear God in the way he's going to tell us are going to come forth of them all. Do you know what that is? That's first place. That's first place in the philosophical race of life. The pain. Vanity. What does the word vanity mean? Look at that second verse of the book. Back to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. This is just a little overview to whet your appetite. Why not listen to the 35 sermons? What else are you doing during the day? Listen to one sermon a day on the way to and from work. Mark, it'll squeeze. Well, you might have to drive slower. Back then I preached a little longer. 
Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 2, vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity, five uses of the word of vanity. So you better make sure you know what the word vanity means. It's anything that is futile, worthless, profitless, empty, wasteful, pointless, hollow. That's what vanity is, worthless, nothing. There's all kind, there's, that word is used over and over. All is vanity occurs six times. Vanity of vanities occurs two times, beginning and end of the book. That's why I called it the introduction and the conclusion. Vexation of spirit occurs six times. What does it mean to be vexed? To be vexed is to be upset, irritated, frustrated, and angry. Why? Because life. Because life beats us around. We lose jobs. We lose health. Kids leave. Governments change. Taxes go up. All these bad things happen. Did you hear the time and chance earlier? Mm -hmm. When we had a brother stand up here and go through a whole bunch of time and chance? Oh, who's in charge of all those little events? God is. Amen. God's in charge of all of them. Vexation of spirit occurs six times because Solomon found that not only is living life in this world, on this earth, and looking at its things as your fulfillment, vain, meaning worthless, it's vexing. It's irritating. It's frustrating to see the wicked getting ahead, the righteous being punished, oppression in provinces, governments overstepping their bounds, roles being turned upside down. And we're seeing all that. We need this book. We want to live right side up in an upside down world. And book of Ecclesiastes tells us how to do that. Vanity occurs another 22 times, other than the six times when it's all is vanity, or the two times of vanity of vanities. Another 22, vain occurs once, travail occurs eight times, evil occurs 11 times, evil disease once, under the sun 29 times. So did he get that point across that this is about life on earth with 29 statements under the sun? That is so key. When Paul's writing, and like the book of Revelation where John wrote, that is above the sun. So we want to keep, we want both. We want both. The, the word providence. The word providence isn't in the Bible. And I use it quite a bit. And I guess that's from reading old writers too, many, too often. I like the word because it just summarizes this. When I say God's providence, I pray for three things for your life. That God will bless you mightily by his spirit, by his word, and by his merciful providence. And I know exactly what I mean. I know God knows exactly what I mean by that word. What do I mean by providence? The foreknowledge and beneficent care and sovereign government of God over all events of human existence. Divine direction, control, or guidance that God will bless in all the circumstances of your lives to favor you in your life. So I pray for God the Holy Spirit to take charge of your life, to open up the word of God to you, and to show his providential mercy to you in the circumstances of your life. That's what I mean by providence. God's sovereign control of all the events that impact you on a daily basis. Solomon's method is to point out the vanity of life before giving you the cure through the fear of God. I hope you can see that because we don't hear about the conclusion of the whole matter until the end, although he gives some hints leading to it. Therefore, Solomon's going to break you down before he builds you back up. Is that a common way to make great men? He's going to break you down because he's got to get you weaned off of this life. Did you, did you see the young man get up here a little while ago and thank the Lord for his wife? Hey, give us a smile back there, Courtney. 
Yep, okay, that's dangerous. Um, see, Austin gets up here and tells you how wonderful his life's been for about two months. <laughs> Let me see. I think I heard these words. Every day is better. I think I heard it. Every day is better. And so if we're not careful, we start thinking that just this life can make us happy. But there's a being outside this life that is greater than anyone, everyone, anything, everything, right. all combined together, and it's God himself. Right. That's why David, who had a harem, David, who had great riches, David, who had great power, authority, reputation, image, all that stuff, along with Asaph, wrote in Psalm 73, Whom have I in heaven? Whom have I in earth but thee? It's all about the Lord. So we want to keep that balance. He's going to break us down first by weaning us of all those things. He's going to talk about buildings. Some of you get so excited when you build a house. What does M&R stand for? M&R. Maintenance and repair. So when you buy a house, what have you bought into? You love and embrace maintenance and repair. What does DEPR stand for? Depreciation. So when you buy a house, you have bought into and you're embracing something called depreciation. What does that mean? It's worth less this year than it was last year. It's falling apart around you. I'm you know, Solomon's just going to cut right to the chase and tell us, mm -hmm. I built so many buildings. And when I looked at them all, they're all vanity and vexation of spirit. And he gives you a whole bunch of reasons as to why they were vain and why they're vexing. They bother me because I have to think about them all the time and I can't sleep at night. They bother me because Rehoboam is going to get his hands on some of them. And I know Rehoboam is not going to take care of them like I took care of them. The kid, all he does is play basketball with his buddies every day. And he's going to get his hands on what I work so hard for. This is all in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's a fabulous book. Some people have said, listen, I don't know what this is, if this is worth anything at all, but I'm just going to say it. Some people have said it's the, it's the best sermon series I ever preached. You know, that embarrasses me. I wish it would be Hebrews or something or, you know, Romans, but at least about Jesus Christ once in a while. But somebody, it's been said, because the Lord was merciful to us. There's some difficulties in here. Amen. Now, I have a, I have a brother that's a, that's a triple brother that I get to call once in a while and say, <laughs> let me lay this one on you. Three of the difficulties are in chapter 7, and they're, they're challenging. But the Lord was gracious to us. He, he showed us the book of Ecclesiastes. He showed us some things in Hebrews. Do you know that we know things in Hebrews that can hardly be found? The solutions to the four hardest pa passages in the book of Hebrews. And there's hard sections in Hebrews chapter 7 as well. There's hard verses there. Solomon's going to break us down, but he's going to show us the answer. When, when you're in the book of Ecclesiastes... And I actually started a sermon outline that you may get sometime. It's called the Gospel of Despair. I thought gospel was good news. It is. But the Gospel of Despair is how Solomon preached. Because he's going to just fill you with despair about life, that it doesn't work, so that he can give you a solution. Look at chapter 2 and verse 20. Look what he did to himself so that you can just sit back in the overstuffed leather chair next to the fire, feeling the radiant heat in the panel library of the God of heaven, where he's given you 66 books. And while you're sitting there, you read that this rich man, who had everything, did this to himself. 2.20, Therefore, I went about to cause my heart to despair 
of all the labor which I took under the sun. Now, how's that for a life goal? I'm going to make myself despair of everything. And that's what he does to us. And so he did it to himself. We just get to sit back and reap the benefits. We don't have to go through the pain. If you're going through the pain, listen, if anybody in here is worried, fretting, fearful, or upset about this life, you're violating Ecclesiastes right now. You're messing up your own life. You don't deserve any sympathy. You're a mess. You're a psychotic disorder. You're probably devil-possessed. Get rid of all that stuff. Get rid of it. Solomon did it for you. Right. He, he, forced, he forced despair on himself, and we don't want to be that way. There's a happy way to live. Go, listen, we're, I'll, I'll, I'll give you the cash for QT on the way home so that you can eat and drink something that will make you put a smile on your face. Just, I don't have very much, but I'll give you enough for QT. They tell me it's pretty cheap. Because you know what he's going to say? Eat, drink, and be merry. It's a gift from God. Right. And God comforts you in your soul while you're enjoying it. But fear God in it. Enjoy life. Love the light. Love the sunshine. Thank you for letting me get away for three days. There's an airline that flies out of Greenville that wants to give away flights every now and then to Florida. They only fly to Florida. It's the best place to go in the winter. And it was 80 degrees, three days in a row with sun basking. It was wonderful. Amen. That was my vacation. Just thinking about when can I get back and see a laptop or a computer. <laughs> but uh, it was beautiful, wasn't it? They call it the sunshine state. It was beautiful. You know why I'm saying, I'm not, I don't want to tell you about my vacation. Why am I mentioning it? Chapter 11. Chapter 11. It's all, it's all right here. If you will learn this book with me, you will have answers for life. Look at 11.7. Truly, the light is sweet. We sat, there was a breakfast that we had sitting next to the Atlantic Ocean, and the sun was shining. The sky was absolutely flawlessly blue. The Atlantic Ocean was the color it's supposed to be. The sand was the color it was supposed to be. The food was the color it was supposed to be. The eggs weren't green. They were yellow. Everything was perfect. I said, Sherry, that is a postcard. That is postcard picture perfect. And it's, we're, she's looking at, I say, what's the temperature in Michigan? Oh, 25. Greenville, 44. Oh, sweet. You know, you say, why do you say the word sweet? Truly, the light is sweet, and a pleasant thing it is for the eyes to behold the sun. Amen. Is it in the Bible? But if a man live many years and rejoice in them all, yet let him remember the days of darkness, for they shall be many. All that cometh is vanity. There's the balance. That's right. So, what does that mean? It means this. If I had more disposable income, and that is not asking for more giving, if I had more disposable income, every single one of you would go home with a large wall clock. Because everyone needs a large wall clock. It's got to be 36 in inches or larger. It doesn't count to me. It's got to be a big wall clock that reminds you, I don't want to waste one minute being angry, one minute being bitter, one minute worrying, one minute being fearful, because the light is sweet and the days of darkness that are coming are many. And I'm, I'm closer to them than most of you. And some of you are closer to them than I am. My father just said amen quietly. Look at the verse. I want you to embrace this book. Okay, I'll forget my introduction. There's more to be said. 
okay, um, look at that index. This is God's grace to us. Instead of 12 chapters that don't really mean, that the chapter distinctions don't mean that much, do the chapter distinctions mean very much to you in the book of Proverbs? No. Do I trust God providentially for those chapter distinctions? Yes, I do. What do we like about the chapter distinctions the most? Just listen to us. We'll do anything to defend God. Why do we like the chapter distinctions in the book of Proverbs? Because there's 31. And what's the most number of days in a month of the year? That's why we like it. Other than that, we don't know of any benefit to the chapter distinctions in Proverbs. Maybe in one or two places. But we'll do anything to defend the Lord. Because we love his library. When we go in there, there are no flaws in that library. If you ever hear me, there's no flaws in his library. It's absolutely flawless. And I love every book. Okay, which of these lessons can we take a peek at? Oh. Oh. Chapter 1, verse 12. Let's, that's lesson number 2. I gave you this page. You take it home. It's on 28-pound paper. It'll last a little longer than 20-pound. Um, it's, in, it's in the update, the Friday update that I sent you. It's an attachment, the whole 126 pages. But let's just read this lesson. Lesson number two. Two of you young people counted off one. Remember, Amanda? So here we go. Ecclesiastes 1, verse 12. I, the preacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. And I gave my heart. Oh, this is wonderful. I just didn't do my duty. I didn't do it because I had to. I gave my heart. And this man had a big heart. Do you know what the Bible says? God gave him great enlargement of heart in the way of wisdom. You know, his heart was beating like this in the way of researching a project and getting an answer. I, the preacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I gave my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all things that are done under heaven. This sore travail hath God given to the sons of man to be exercised therewith. I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. That which is crooked cannot be made straight, and that which is wanting cannot be numbered. You are not going to change what God did and what God does, and God is going to mess up what you plan to do so that you are exercised by the travail that it brings. He is going to exercise you. See, we've been exercised, and we've been exercised extra by being born again so that we want answers for our lives, and we humble ourselves and repent and turn everything over to him. But a man that doesn't do that is still fighting to find fulfillment in the things of this life, and God has so arranged taxes, governments, oppressors, transition after your death, death, decay, sickness, successors, expenses rising, the propensity to consume, all these factors crush being happy in life without the Lord. And he's done it to exercise us. We're down here as part of a kind experiment to get us to turn our eyes to heaven. Adam and Eve wouldn't do it. We better do it and turn our eyes to heaven and still stop at QT on the way home. That is the best of all worlds. It's, it's, it's right here. That was lesson number two. You know I don't have time to explain it further than that. Let's look at another one. How about number five? Materialism. Who, who's, in, who's got a big building project going on? You want to... <clears throat> Never mind. I got my answer looking to the left. Your right, my left. 
Ecclesiastes, no harm done, no foul, no harm. Thank you. Please. Ecclesiastes 5. No, 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 chapter 2. See, I'm getting confused, the lesson number and the chapter number. Lesson 5, chapter 2. And it's long, but let's, let's listen to it. We couldn't do this. He did it for us. So we're sitting in the library reading about the man who gave his whole heart to the stuff we'd like to try. I made me great works. Ecclesiastes 2.4. I made me great works. When Solomon says great works, they were great works. I builded me houses. I planted me vineyards. I made me gardens and orchards, and I planted trees, and them of all kinds of fruits. And he knew more about trees than anyone on earth. First Kings 4 tells us that. I made me pools of water. You want a pool in your yard? To water therewith the wood that bringeth forth trees. I got me servants and maidens and had servants born in my house. Also I had great possessions of great and small cattle, all kind of breeds, above all that were in Jerusalem before me. I gathered me also silver and gold and the peculiar treasure of kings and of the provinces. I got me men singers and women singers and the delights of the sons of men as musical instruments and that of all sorts. And so I was great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. And whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy. For my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my portion of all my labor. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought, and on the labor that I had labored to do, and behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit, and there was no profit under the sun. I had a balance sheet that would crush you. The balance sheet had all those assets that he just described, and he had income coming in, but it did not make him happy. Right. This is the word of God against the materialism of the United States of America in 2019. Mm -hmm. You don't need bigger or better. You need the Lord right. and QT. You don't need Rick Irwin's. You need QT. I'm... And I'm not, I'm not even been paid to do a commercial for them. <laughs> the simple pleasures. I'm telling you, we had a cheap... What? It had to be scrambled eggs and sausage. Sitting there at the ocean. It's fa fantastic. You know, we were both wanting to pinch ourselves, saying it's just too good to be true. You can jump in a plane, wait 90 minutes and have 80 degrees, and have it on your face. Because the Bible said... Right. The Bible said... Yes, I, after a few minutes, I'm pretty bored there, and I want to go work on Ecclesiastes. But while I'm there, I did enjoy it, because the Lord wants us to enjoy it. And all this is, I don't want to talk about I'm trying to talk to you about it. Life is short. Remember the big, the big clock? I wish I could give everyone a big clock. Hobby Lobby and a few other online sources make them very cheap, a big clock. And I, ha I have a little outline for you, if you would like a little outline that I did for my family 10 years ago that listed all the things that you shouldn't let happen as that clock's ticking. Life is too short. Life is too short to be angry, upset, irritated, negative, critical. That's, that's Ecclesiastes. If you, want, if, you want, if you want to look at an object, if you're a visual learner, get a clock and stare at it. And just remember that every, every time it moves, it's getting closer to your days of darkness. Right. So while it's light, it's sweet and pleasant. Enjoy it. 3-1. How many in here remember the song of the birds, turn, turn? 
in about 197. Okay, good. We have a few people in here. They took it from this passage of Scripture, Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 15. I'm not going to read it here. It's a time for this and a time for that. These aren't our choices of times. These are God's choices of times. Remember that, right. Jonathan? Very, very big distinction, isn't it? It's huge. A time to be born. Did you pick it? These aren't our selections. A time to die. You're not going to pick it either. We're going to be fighting that off as much as we can, but the Lord's going to pick all these things, and he's going to turn our life upside down with them. And why? Because he wants to exercise us again. Verse 10, I have seen the travail which God have given to the sons of men to be exercised in it. Can we take the lesson of exercise and rejoice? When bad things come up at Costco, you do. You do better than I could do. That's why God gave it to you because he knew I would fail. I fail reading about you doing it. <laughs> and that's, does, does anybody know what I'm talking about relative to that situation and other situations? He's exercised you with it. He exercises me by exercising you. The travail of men's lives. But you know this church, let's rejoice. Let's help one another, let's help bear one another's burdens of the travail of life. And let's enjoy the simple pleasures that he gives us because he allows us those things. Jump back to chapter 2 verse 24. There is nothing better for a man than that he should eat and drink. This is QT. Ecclesiastes 2.24, I've, I've never been to QT for myself. I don't even know what they serve. There is nothing better for a man than that he should eat and drink and that he should make his soul, make his soul, instead of making his soul despair, 2.20, make his soul enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw, that it was from the hand of God. For God giveth to a man, it goes on to explain it. See, it just doesn't come up in chapter 9. Chapter 9, verses 7 through 10 is what I put in the Friday update. It's not just chapter 9. It's right here in chapter 2. While we're under the sun, the, he's our father. Right. God, this God, that we do not want Ichabod to happen in our church, this God is not only our creator and our God and the final judge of all humanity and rational creatures, he is our father, and he loves us for time and eternity. He loves to do good things for us now. And so when you find a beautiful day or you find something nice to drink or something nice to eat, it is the gift of God. And he answers us in our heart that it's not all bad. And if we keep it in balance, it's all wonderful. We're sitting in his library. We've got his book in front of us. We've got a nice drink, something good to eat. We've got a wife. We've got nice clothes on. We've got ointment. We've taken a shower because we're blessed in America with all these things. And we can have the balance. And it's God, it's the crown of the road. It's the crown of the philosophical road of how to en enjoy the things God's given us. Oh, look at 5.9. Five, 5.9, nine. Five, nine. just a couple more minutes. This was just to whet your appetite. I'm going to quit. This next Sunday is going to be something different. Um, the sermons are there. Matthew's made them available. Mark Grimm's made them available. Utilize them. And utilize the outline that I sent you. If you don't want to take the time listening to me, just read through that outline. I beg you to send me any proofreading errors that you find. If there's some verse that the explanation isn't, isn't well understood and it, it doesn't make good sense to you, go ahead and tell me. I'm not going to be offended. I'll rework it a little bit to make it better. Ecclesiastes 5 verse 9. Moreover, the profit of the earth is for all. Look at this is lesson number 19. Vanity of riches from four perspectives. In four verses, we're going to get four 
perspectives on the vanity of riches. Moreover, the profit of the earth is for all. The king himself is served by the field. So no matter how rich a king is, he still has to eat the same breakfast cereal that everybody else does in his realm. So there's the first vanity of riches. It's in verse 9. The, the vanity in verse 10, He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This is also vanity. Also means it's the second vanity in this little lesson, number 19. I remember when a certain fellow in this church, a young man known pretty well to me, had a barbecue restaurant in this city, and he had on the wall of his office this verse, Ecclesiastes 5.10, because it's one of the rules of life that if you set your mind on silver, you won't be satisfied with silver. That's the second. The third one is in verse 11. When goods increase, they are increased that eat them. And what good is there to the owners thereof, saving the beholding of them with their eyes? All you've got is an income statement. I had a million come in, and I had 995000 go out. Oh, I had a $5,000 year. Precious. So all you do is behold the income statement. It's terrible vanity. Because as... Oh, professional athletes in America, you go look at my outline. Oh, yes, professional athletes in America get all this cash, and it's amazing how many friends they have after a contract is signed. They forgot all about the cousins that they had. They had never seen these cousins, second cousins, third cousins. They come out of the woodwork because they want a piece of the cash. Solomon knew this 1,000 B.C., it's right there in 511 when goods increase. It's called the propensity to consume in economics. That when income goes up, the desire to spend goes up and you can't keep it down. The ordinary man, even from a natural man's perspective, cannot stop spending when income goes up. Doesn't our government prove it? Yes. Don't most companies prove it? They overexpand and overspend. Then verse 12, the sleep of a laboring man is sweet whether he eat little or much but the abundance of the rich will not suffer him to sleep. So there's a fourth reason. So when he says all is vanity, and you're wondering where is it said, lesson 19 has four reasons that riches don't make you happy. Because you've got to eat just like everyone else. Because, verse 10, it doesn't satisfy. Because expenses go up, so that all I know is I had a pretty big income statement, and I can't sleep at night. Amazing. In the, in the word of God. But look at verse 18 in this chapter. I want you to know that it's not just chapter 9. Verse 18. Behold, that which I have seen, it is good and comely for one to eat and to drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor that he taketh unto the sun all the days of his life which God giveth him, for it is his portion. Every man also to whom God hath given riches and wealth and hath given him power to eat thereof and to take his portion and to rejoice in his labor, this is the gift of God. The greater gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, and I hope you know that. Right. But this is the gift of God of living under the sun. To come home from a day of hard work and stop and get yourself a $5 pizza from Little Caesars? $5. Somebody, somebody from Italy came all the way over here and made you a pizza for 5 bucks. <laughs> and you, listen, you're laughing at me. I was 12 years old, and that man back there was 11. And we were sitting at a table at Portage Lake, Michigan, 14 miles from Ann Arbor, where they had opened the first Little Caesars. And a young man in that church that had a yellow 442 Oldsmobile convertible, he flew into Ann Arbor and brought back, I had never tasted mozzarella cheese in my life 
The English do not know that there is any cheese called mozzarella. I had never smelled or tasted pepperoni. Do you, do you remember any of these experiences? They're fantastic experiences in life. He raced, he raced back with one pepperoni pizza, and I got one little three-inch piece. Never tasted anything like that in my life. Roast beef, peas, and mashed potatoes have one taste profile. <laughs> See, you take it for granted. Our children, they are so spoiled. The first time that landed on an English tongue, he realized that his nation didn't have a clue about food. <laughs> Wonderful, until Beef Wellington came along. Wasn't that, anyway, that was Stuart. To take his portion, rejoice in his labor, this is the gift of God. The gift of eternal life, the gift of predestinated sonship, adoption are so much greater. But while we're here on life, if we look at everything as a gift, right. everything is a gift. You know, the little place that I, I, I'm only bringing this up to try to share current life events of, of Sherry's and mine. The place that we landed in down there was, was a retired minister, my age, 61 and a half years old, born two miles from where I was born in Michigan. Picked us up at the airport, took us to the airport. I mean, it was so easy. We didn't take anything. We each took a bag about this big because we didn't need anything. Um, all those little details, we just thank the Lord. How in the world, how could the Lord arrange this? Everything is to be thanked for. Everything is good. Right. Everything is wonderful. Yes, there's dark days coming. And there are events in life that exercise us. But we can still handle the exercise and still enjoy good things. Right. And we don't fret, worry, or throw up our hands in despair. We learn that he suffered the despair to remind us to fear God, keep his commandments, and enjoy QT a little bit by having a few little pleasures. And so there it is again in chapter 5. It's not just chapter 9, verses 7 through 10, which I gave you in the Friday update. Look at chapter 8 and verse 16. This is the providence of God. This is different. I've got a, there's a lesson in here called the inscrutability of God's providence. And it's right here, number 40. Lesson number 40 on the back page, verse 16. When I applied mine heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done upon the earth, for also there is that neither day nor night seeth sleep with his eyes. Then I beheld all the work of God, that a man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun, because though a man labor to seek it out, yet he shall not find it. Yea, farther, though a wise man think to know it, yet shall he not be able to find it. You say, what do those two verses mean? Solomon says, I was the philosopher gifted by God to make the discovery that these things were impossible to find out, and other philosophers who cannot even sleep during the night because they are so worried about getting answers to the questions about life, they, they're not, they cannot be found because God has put them in his own hand. They are called the secret things of God. In Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. The revealed things belong unto us and to our children to do them. It's just a fantastic verse, two verses about the inscrutability. That means we can't get into it and understand it. It's too deep for us. It's too, it's too far for us. But we know who's behind it. Right. And do you know what he says about, you know what he says about it? He says we're in his hand. You, got, you have got to read the book of Ecclesiastes very carefully. There's going to be little tiny statements like, we're in his hand. Because he's, going to, he's not going to talk that much about the children of God. He'll mention a few times about the gift of God, but he'll say that we're in his hand. So when it's all in his control, 
and he's throwing these things at the world and, and, and or a nation or a family or you, you're in his hand. Don't worry about him. Philosophers have tried to figure them out. Solomon's the one that figured them out. They're all in the hands of God. So what's the conclusion? Fear God, keep his commandments. It's the whole duty of man. He's got us in his hand. And so while, he, while we're in his hand, he says, stop at QT. Life's too short for you not to have a smile on your face. Do you know why I sent the sun today? To put a smile on your face. Truly the light is sweet. Don't you think the light is sweet, he says to you when it's a beautiful day? Did you see that super moon? Did you stop to look at that super moon? The Lord just brought that thing into earth. Boom. It's a beautiful moon. I like the sun better. I know. Would you believe me if I told you that in this outline that is in your possession at home that was attached to the Friday update, it has a three and a half minute video about Chicken Little? Is that appropriate? Is that appropriate to have Chicken Little in the explanation for the book of Ecclesiastes? It's a, it's a nice little animation. What was Chicken, chicken, little, t- chicken little telling everyone to run and hide that they were in grave danger of their lives because the sky was falling. And some of us were brought up with that kind of stuff in our past. So it makes us too nervous about a lot of things in life. It makes us nervous about politics. It makes us nervous about investments. Because, of course, the stock market is rigged. The most rigged market in the entire history of the universe is the U.S. stock market. All these different things like gold and silver are not rigged. (laughs) They're so much easier to rig. All those lessons, it's in the book. It's right here. You want to see it? It's chapter 11. Ecclesiastes chapter 11 about Chicken Little. The sky's falling. What happened to Chicken Little because Chicken Little was so preoccupied with the sky falling? Do you remember the, the final end of that story? The fox got him because he was looking at the wrong enemy. He didn't have one except the fox. He thought the sky was falling. Verse 4 of Ecclesiastes 11, He that observeth the wind shall not sow. If you observe circumstances of life, politics, Rush Limbaugh, Forbes magazine, Drudge Report, I don't care what the source is. I don't care if I read it, you read it, no one reads it. If we observe the wind too much, we won't sow. And he that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. So we hurt ourselves by worrying about things out of our control because they're all in God's control. So he just says, Go ahead. In the morning, verse 6, in the morning sow thy seed. In the evening withhold not thine hand. So you give all your seed into the earth except a little bit to maintain for your family until those plants grow up and you're able to reap some to put it back in your house. But somebody comes to the door that night, my family has nothing to eat. Do you know what the Lord says? You get up in the morning and you sow, and that night when they're at your door, you give them something. Because that's why verse 1 said, Cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. The Lord, is, the Lord will take care of us. And so he tells us, don't worry about those things out of your control. They're in my control, and I have you in my hand. This is the book of Ecclesiastes. I'm sorry, it's a different kind of a sermon. The sermon this morning was more important than this sermon. God's presence with you and the heads of, the, the, the heads of households of this church will make the future of this church by making sure they, their spouse, their wives, and their children have a close personal relationship with God and delight in him. And then our church will do so. And the Lord will be with us and he won't take his candlestick away. While we're here, we can enjoy life. 
we can find the crown of the road. Fear God, keep his commandments, remember that judgment is coming, but enjoy the light while we have it. It's his gift to us to comfort us about our labor and to remember that he has given us something that is unbelievable in the Bible. Amen. 66 books. He loves us. He's a wonderful father. I hope that you love him and that we together will go out of this place today to live for him this week. May Jesus Christ be praised. Amen. Stand with me, please.